Genre. Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing JD and Turk from Scrubs. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest Ben Phillips. Welcome back, Ben. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. And uh, we're talking about a great series. And just watching the two episodes that we have for our discussion today made me kind of think like, oh, this might be a good background show to be able to just throw on. Oh, I know. It's, uh, all I can think is like, is it time for a rewatch, but stopping before the show does? <laughs> <laughs> just just maybe maybe a season before. Yeah. <laughs> so we are talking about Scrubs, a sitcom that aired on NBC from 2001. Uh, well, okay. I didn't always air on NBC. It aired from 2001 to 2009. Uh, it does switch networks uh, near the end there. I and feel like show- I come on. I'm sorry. I, feel, I just, I feel like I come on shows that move networks when we discuss them. All right, what, what we also did I, community. We did community. We did community, which you know, it's jumped over to Yahoo screen. I believe <laughs> <laughs> rest in peace. Yahoo screen. I don't think that exists anymore. Uh, this show, Scrubs, was created by Bill Lawrence, and it starred Zach Braff as JD, Donald Faison as Christopher Turk, Sarah Chalk as Elliot Reed, and John C. McGinley as Perry Cox. The show is set at the fictional Sacred Heart Teaching Hospital. We are talking about Season 1, Episode 4, My Old Lady, and Season 5, Episode 7, My Way Home. My Old Lady was written by Matt Tarsus and directed by Mark Buckland, and My Way Home was written by Neil Goldman and Garrett Donovan and directed by Zach Braff. Uh, ben, do you remember when you first came to the TV show Scrubs? Yeah, I do. I <clears throat> what was it 2001, you said? Um, yeah. I was in high school and I remember seeing advertisements for it and be like, I want to watch that show. So right from the beginning, I definitely started watching it. And like, I remember it being aside from like The Simpsons, it was one of the first shows where I'm like, oh, this, this is a show that I really don't want to miss. Like, this is the first show that like actually seems to have like heart and it's not just like laughs per minute. Like there's, I don't know. It was, it was a very deep show in many ways. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I, I realized in my cast list, I left out Judy Reyes as Carla Espinosa. So I just wanted to put her, uh, her in real quick. Um, similar to you, I was watching this when it was on. I don't think I was able to um, like stick with it week like 100% weekly. We didn't, you know, this is before DVRs mm-hmm. people and streaming options. So <laughs> um, I, I do remember getting the first several seasons on DVD. Uh, and, Absolutely. Oh yeah. Uh, I had them all. Yep. Yeah. And uh, maybe even all the way up through that last season that we'll talk about in the trivia section. I, uh, I remember setting, <laughs> I remember setting the VCR um, whenever I would have like a uh, glee club practice and things like that. So I could tape it and come back and watch it. <laughs> Well, maybe you'll have some trivia about the Glee Club that is present in the oh yeah <laughs> or the acapella Ted's group band. that's present. That's banned yes. uh, in this. Um, but like like you, um, it does stand out for a sitcom that is being absurd and and, and like embraces silliness, uh, but mm-hmm. also will strive for heart. And uh, there's several episodes uh, that mm-hmm. really do like end with. Uh, with like real gut punch emotion uh, to them, including the first one uh, yes. <laughs> that we're talking about today. Now, I, I am sure for any listeners who are fans of Scrubs, you may immediately be thinking like, well, what about the, uh, the Brendan Fraser episodes or the uh, what, what's JD's brothers, uh, the actor who plays JD's brother that comes on. Um, oh, the guy from Ed. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kavanaugh. Is that his last name? Yeah. Uh, Tom Kavanaugh. Tom Cavanaugh, like those, like both those character arcs immediately like, oh, I, we should maybe do a, one of Tom Cavanaugh's guest spot episodes or the Brendan Fraser storyline. But I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, that, that would become us or talking like about the, Br- Brendan Fraser like, and not Scrubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like if we did the musical episode, it would just be like, how cool is the musical episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we did receive some feedback. We recently did an episode on MASH and we, we felt like we had to do the finale of MASH and some of the only feedback I've gotten is like, well, the finale of MASH isn't really what MASH is like. I know we also did another episode, but we kind of had to, like, felt like we had to do the finale of MASH if you're going to do mm-hmm. MASH. <laughs> I mean, just uh, for I TV understand. history. Yeah, I understand it's also not the general tone of MASH. And so I yeah. really want to try and capture the general tone of Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
we may circle back and just do the Brendan Fraser storyline uh, from Scrubs at some point, but <laughs> it is it's such good television. Oh my goodness. So some trivia about Scrubs. This was created by Bill Lawrence, uh, who had been a writer on Boy Meets World, The Nanny and Friends before he co-created the uh, sitcom Spin City. And then he does Scrubs. And after that, he's going to co-create Cougar Town. And then he's going to be on a whole bunch of series that don't quite catch on. But he recently has had success co-creating Ted Lasso and uh, Shrinking, both on Apple TV. Um, Ted Lasso in particular being a, a bit of a breakout and a reason why we delayed our recording for a few minutes. So that, that <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> the episode of Ted Lasso that came out it right just before dropped. we recorded. <laughs> yep. Um, so Bill Lawrence, he has a pretty good creative TV, uh, TV yeah, pedigree so. there. And um, so Scrubs is the rare TV show to jump networks. I say that as you have already pointed out, you've been on here twice talking about TV shows to do that. So, <laughs> It aired on NBC for seasons one through seven and on ABC for seasons eight and nine. And oh, my goodness, can you go down a rabbit hole about (laughs) the reasons for this and everything? Um, So here I've got it a little later in the trivia, but I'm going to pull it in. So the seventh season was announced as the final season. That was the last one that aired on NBC. Um, But this was a TV series that was produced by... uh, abc studios but aired on nbc the show is entirely owned by abc studios so that means they get all the syndication money at the time and now streaming money uh you know streaming rights money uh would go to abc studios and not nbc at that point this is a bit messy uh and uh when season seven is announced that it's going to be the final one abc is like well we're actually making really good money on syndication we want this to keep going uh and so they start to make plans that abc is going to bring scrubs over to abc the network for a a, as a mid-season replacement show for a shortened eighth season um which this leaves like the entire cast and crew in limbo and also during season seven is when there's a writer's strike Uh, i can't yes i've mentioned writer's strike so many times on this podcast (laughs) uh and it must feel like writer's strikes are constantly happening by the way we're about to have one everyone so get ready for all your fall (laughs) shows to be disrupted (laughs) by the next writer's strike um but it was between the writer's strike which messed up season seven as the final season and messed up some of the storylines and the things that they wanted to do. Uh, and then this, are they transitioning over to ABC or not? So is this a series mm-hmm. finale or not? Like, it's just a bit of a mess and behind the scenes. And uh, when I was going down the rabbit hole, like there just tells you when this was happening. Like Zach Braff has blog posts talking about like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I literally well, don't know. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if you remember, but I remember it like being very annoying because since NBC wasn't getting a lot of the money for it, they would like move them around to different time slots, mm-hmm. different nights, didn't really advertise a lot for them. And yeah, yeah it was one of those things like, okay, where is Scrubs going to be on this season? Yeah, it was not treated well uh, by, by NBC. So then it gets pulled over to ABC and we get an eighth season that has the full cast. Um, in some ways, it feels like this was... Really just uh, ABC Studios saying to Bill Lawrence, okay, wrap everything up that you couldn't in the seventh season because of the writer's strike. And then mm-hmm. they announced that there's going to be a ninth season with a new chapter in the show with the original cast largely being phased out, except Dr. Cox and Dr. Turk are now going to be med school professors. Just going to be. Just, it happened. <laughs> Teaching a new <laughs> core of four students. Um and 13 episodes of that season were ordered, but JD hangs around for too long at the beginning for it to really feel like they're handing off the baton <laughs> to, to the new cast. It's a very messy attempt at a transition that does not work. And that's why uh, that is the last season uh, of the show. Um, and uh, like there were all sorts of jokes about like, is this new scrubs? Is this scrubs 2.0? And like the network's like, nope, it's just scrubs because we want to sell nine seasons of syndication. <laughs> so this is just scrubs. It is not a new show for people to form an attachment to. Um, some real behind the scenes mess. You, you, uh, I invite it listeners to, to just go explore that. <laughs> I, I will um, say so- that I will say that season eight, my finale is one of my favorite sort of finales of a show ever. I thought it was, I thought it was great. <laughs> I need to go revisit it. I remember liking it, but I have not, I don't think I've done a, like a full rewatch of the series since it actually ended. Whereas like I've, I've That's watched fair. the first probably five seasons multiple times. Cause those are I'm for sure the ones I had on DVD. Uh, and you know, I would just throw them on when I was doing, you know, oh, yeah. you know doing or stuff. Or I listened to the commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some good commentaries and there are some facts. I remember for the commentary, like when we were watching one of these episodes, I'm like, oh, 
uh, Zach can't do this stunt. His head's going to jerk too soon. And I remember that mm-hmm. commentary like over a decade ago. <laughs> that <laughs> that uh, there, there's a scene in the in the first episode where a pile of bricks falls from the ceiling onto him. And he, he did like three takes and he jerked his head every time before the bricks hit. <laughs> Understandably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so most episodes in the series begin with the word my. And creator Bill Lawrence says we're supposed to view the episodes as entries in JD's diary. And uh, the episodes feature internal narration and voiceovers from JD. A few episodes see the point of view shift to another character. Usually when JD bumps into them early in the episode and kind of passes off narration and the other actor or actress will do voiceover in those episodes. And those uh, episodes have titles like his or her uh, and then whatever, you know, the rest of the title is. Um, So Scrubs built a much larger than normal catalog of minor background characters who wander through the halls of Sacred Heart Hospital. These characters usually have one gimmick, like the Todd's high five or Beard Face's name. Uh, it's Beard Fasse. It's Beard Fasse. <laughs> uh, and this really, they really, you already mentioned the Simpsons. It starts to feel like a Simpsons universe mm-hmm. where there's like the, yep. the consistent background characters that have one, one note jokes, but they're there. Or later the like Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a real life JD. Uh, Jonathan Doris was creator Bill Lawrence's friend from college. And I've heard Bill Lawrence talk about him several times. He does it on the, on the commentaries and also like at the start of the pandemic, uh, Zach and Donald did a, a scrubs rewatch, uh, podcast that got off the rails pretty quick. Like they, they didn't yes. understand structure, of a podcast. <laughs> but in a way that was kind of entertaining. <laughs> like I, I felt like I've been listening to the office ladies podcast, which is like tightly structured and organized. And, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, Pam and Angela from the office, the actresses who played them, uh, just marvelous amounts of information, but always like mm-hmm. tightly structured. Like, okay, here's the part where we're going like behind the scenes. Here's the part where we give a summary. Here's the part where we have a guest come on and give us. And, and I compared it to the scrubs, which was really like, I think Donald they hang is out. getting high in his closet uh, and has a microphone mm-hmm. in front of him. And they forgot to talk about which episode of Scrubs they're supposed yes. to be recapping entirely. Like they just don't even mention it. <laughs> but early on in that, because it was the pandemic, like Bill Lawrence came on with the real life JD and talked about COVID and what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so I do remember that. Um, and the show also had several medical advisors, including um the real life JD, but also John Turk, whose name was used for a character and also Dolly clock. Later on, there's gonna be a character named Molly clock. So they would pull in the the names of these people for this. Um, the first eight seasons were filmed at a decommissioned hospital in Hollywood. One floor was used for hospital scenes. And uh, after there were lots of renovations to make it more TV production friendly, way more mirrors uh, or windows. I mean, just huge windows in every room that would not exist in a real hospital. Um, <laughs> And then on another floor of the hospital, they built JD and Turk's apartment and a bar and Dr. Cox's apartment and casts were given old hospital rooms on another floor instead of trailers. <laughs> Said Sometimes they would just sleep there so if shooting cool. had gone long because there were beds <laughs> in those rooms. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, the cast of Scrubs appeared in character in It's a Very Mu- Merry Muppet Christmas Movie. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. I need to go watch it. Oh, uh, I do. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a l- not not one of the great Muppet adaptations, but it's Muppets, so it's good. You know, it, it's yeah, like exactly. there's there's great Muppets and then there's the other Muppets, which is always still good. Um, Let's see. This uh, Scrubs is part at like a really early part of a wave of single camera sitcoms that aired mm-hmm. on network TV in the early 2000s which was breaking from the very established three or four camera format of sitcom, which, it, which is and, something that they later played on. Cause they had that, my life in three cameras, which episode. is a fantastic episode, but it's ruined in the DVD because of music rights. Oh, don't even get me started. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, wait, that's the next note <laughs> that I have, but anyway, <laughs> uh, um, single camera sitcoms in the early 2000s would be like Arrested Development and The Office and then uh, carries on with Modern Family and Parks and Rec are all parts of this trend and it's become much more common to see single ca- camera comedy but for a lot of television history sitcoms oh, were my life in front of four cameras yes because I, I, yeah, Cheers was a four camera sitcom um, and my life in four cameras is uh, an episode that riffs on Cheers as like the uh, and using sitcoms as like a place of nostalgia and, and mm-hmm. meaning making for a lot of people. Um, and in the original airing of that episode, uh, they used the theme song from cheers, but for the DVD release, they can't use it. So it becomes a generic kind of sitcom sounding uh, mm-hmm. without words thing. And it feels so different than the original airing. So there's a lot of montages and emotional moments in the series that are based on music and whatever the lawyers were doing 
for DVD and streaming rights did not work. <laughs> so there's a lot of episodes where I'm watching. I'm like, I remember this being better. Uh, and usually it's the soundtrack yeah. has changed. Um, let's see. The show had 17 Emmy nominations, but only one twice, once in editing and once in sound design. Any other trivia that you've accumulated about the TV show Scrubs that you want to share, Ben? Sure. Um, so you were talking about, like, we were talking about the finale. This kind of ties into the problems between ABC and NBC. But um, I know that uh, the person that played Franklin, uh, Masioka, was on Heroes at the time. And mm-hmm. um, the person that played Gift Shop Girl, I know she was on Chuck. I don't remember her name. Um, but apparently, like, they were both, like, ABC wanted both of them to be in the finale episode. And NBC said, no, they work for NBC. As like, ran, like just reappearing as the random background character. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Whatever. Like on the last episode, JD takes a walk down the hall and like lots of people from his past are there to greet him. And like, um, like Taryn kill him, the uh, Jimmy, the overly touchy orderly. Like that's one of the first times I saw him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they uh, just another instance of, of NBC kind of saying, no, thank you. Um, but <laughs> the music choices that we talked about too, like that is jarring whenever you rewatch it and they're not there. Cause I know that like Bill Lawrence and Zach Braff have both talked about like Zach Braff had a huge role in picking the music um, mm-hmm. for the series, just because, you know, you think of garden state and things like that, where he's kind of curating the music and like pretty early on, Bill Lawrence was just like, yeah, send me, send me stuff that you like right now that that might be good for this. I think um, Zach Braff was responsible for the, uh, I'm no Superman theme song. This, he was. He was, he was responsible yeah. for that, and he was responsible. Um, oh, I'm gonna. Uh, I think choosing Colin Hay to appear a lot on the show, um, mm-hmm. and and perform. And a lot there of were his multiple songs. like CD compilations of mm-hmm. uh, of kind of like alternative music uh, tracks that were used as as like random montage things, where like it feels a little random when you like see them all stacked next to each other. But really, it it seems as you're saying, like to be just Zach Braff's t- taste in music. <laughs> a lot of yeah, instances exactly and what i think it's um what's kind of funny too is you know we talked about it's like the show is so zany with like the cutaways and like fantasy JD, like, world yeah yeah dreaming about what he wanted to say or like these weird things happening um but even with that like it becomes like it's the most fantastical of shows but it's way more realistic than most like medical dramas where like mm-hmm like more realistic things actually happen in the show. You know, it's not someone uh, with a bomb strapped to their chest or inside of their chest. (laughs) Um, And I know I've heard Bill Lawrence talk about um, Grey's Anatomy, which I've never watched an episode of. I I know I probably will at some point before this podcast, Uh, but I think it does anyone that likes that show that I just, uh, made a joke about a reference but it doesn't do like the voiceover narration that usually wraps up with all the Mm storylines being tied together by the voiceover narration in a solemn way at the end Mm -hmm. of the episode uh and i know bill lawrence has i I think they do a very meta thing in one of the episodes and talk about (laughs) that they do that that conceit being ripped off by another tv show and it is Grey's anatomy (laughs) they really they pointed that out that kind of stuff out a lot too because like in this one you hear and at one point like JD like that's a, a cue that happens over the seasons whenever like he's thinking or something happens that he like is kind of moving and like in one episode he's just like I kind of always imagine it would sound like this and like that he sings it and sings along <laughs> to like the musical cue so it's like mm-hmm. really breaking the fourth wall and it does become a very uh postmodern uh metafictional yeah. uh text which Absolutely. okay this well is... we're gonna be talking about my way home yeah. <laughs> in <laughs> terms of <laughs> met- metafiction and intertextuality <laughs> Oh, uh, I guess I guess the oh, thing we didn't mention was was the janitor who, oh Neil Flynn wasn't even supposed to be necessarily a big character, and like there's some theories that Bill Lawrence was kind of on the fence if he was even a character that anyone but JD could see, and like <laughs> there was there was some contention of he only ever talked to JD for a long time in the first season, um, uh-huh. but obviously they went a different way with that. Yeah, that it was uh, the janitor was a figment of JD's imagination uh, was, yeah. was a fan theory for a little but, bit that they almost yeah. leaned into. Yes, uh, but it turns like, out he, he really is Neil Flynn, who was in The Fugitive. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we, we see him watching himself on TV in one episode. <laughs> uh, and the janitor had never been given a name. Uh, no, Yanni Tor. Uh, <laughs> 
so yeah, it, it's it's one of those shows that I think rewards. It would be very rewarding in a binge watch because there are so yes. many running threads that the series develops and that self-referentiality that becomes a core part uh, uh, of the show. And I think at the time that was probably, it felt more different and distinct than uh, what we have now. Cause now, you know, well, yeah. whether it's, it's community or, I mean, there's so many other sitcoms have become uh, these like, uh, I guess, absurdist versions of reality yeah. that try and land with heart at the same time and are extremely postmodern in their tone. It was very, it was very much a cartoony show without being a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it seems too like, you know, there are these things that happen over the seasons with like inside jokes and stuff that like, think about the time when it was airing where if you missed it, you missed it. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to be on the internet the next day. And yeah. like, they're building on the, they're building on this, some of these things. So you see like someone go by and it's like, and he just yells, it's beard for say. And it's like, if you missed him the first time, like okay who's that guy yeah <laughs> um okay well before we jump into the summary of these two episodes we're talking about we want to thank each and every one of you for downloading this episode and listening and we especially want to thank any of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes and should we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast and all patrons who support us for five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on to the summary of these two episodes and uh just know the, the TV show does lots of comedy and quick cuts and uh, little asides that do not translate well into writing a summary. So I'm really just summarizing <laughs> the plot and uh, go watch these episodes for the comedy. <laughs> That's what I will say. So my old lady, JD's voiceover tells us statistically that one in three patients admitted to a hospital outside of emergency room visits, pregnancies, and routine surgeries will die. Then we see JD meeting his new patient, an old lady, Turk meeting his new patient, a young man, and Elliot meeting her new patient, a middle-aged woman who only speaks Spanish. They each bond with their patients in different ways. JD learns about his patient's life, and when he offers her a life-saving treatment, she says she would rather not pursue that option. She's lived a good life, doesn't want to cling and limp along. JD tries to reason, uh, find reasons for her to live, making a list of things that everyone should do. She asks him how many of those things he's done. Has he ever just gone and laid on the grass to relax? Uh, then Turk's patient is having a routine hernia surgery and tries to bond with the hospital staff over sports. Turk usually likes to keep distance from people that he's going to be cutting open, uh, but he does end up talking football and becoming friends with this young man. During the surgery, though, he will discover that this patient has cancer. Elliot can't speak to her patient, Uh, But she's been at odds with a nurse named Carla who speaks Spanish. Carla uh, helps Elliot uh, learn some phrases. I will just say a little (laughs) bit of trivia on this. Um, Sarah Chalk, who plays Elliot, is a polyglot and speaks many languages. And there's a scene where uh... she she, uh, has the best Spanish accent when Carla teaches her a few phrases in Spanish. Whereas John C. McGinley, who plays Perry Cox, marches in and he's supposed to be speaking Spanish fluently. And he has the most... Uh, awkward and stilted delivery of Spanish I've heard since I was learning Spanish <laughs> years uh, ago. Thank you. I I wrote that down. I put Elliot Spanish dot 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 is way better than it should be for someone who can't speak Spanish. Oh, she trills her R perfectly. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it was amazing. And I, I I think I've heard that she's like the actress speaks seven or eight languages or something yeah. like that. Like just well, she's Canadian, is. so you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, while she's helping her patient, even after she's learned some Spanish, though, Elliot freezes up uh, about a choice uh, because she's realizing that if she makes a mistake, her patient might die. Uh, In the end, the patient does die, but Elliot's mentor tells her that she made the right call and sometimes patients just don't make it. Uh, JD's patient dies too, and we see him out laying on the grass, and Turk, Carla, and Elliot come and join him. And Turk's uh, patient has also died uh, at this point. Um, okay, my way home. It is JD's days off. And this is at a point where, so so that first episode is season one. They are all like new and green and trying to figure things out. At this point, JD has become a mentor to a group of interns. Uh, they all are now like seasoned, experienced doctors at the hospital. Uh, and it is JD's day off and he's relaxing and listening to Toto on uh, an old gigantic iPod. <laughs> 
He gets called into the hospital by one of his interns. It is a needless thing to call him into the hospital for. So JD just wants to get get out of the hospital and go back home. But Dr. Kelso sees him and asks him to revise the intern's work schedule for the next week. Meanwhile, Elliot has been or is now seen as an endocrinology expert because she went to one symposium and she's now peppered with every endocrinology question in the hospital. She has hidden notes all over the hospital so that she can answer them and maintain the mystique that she is now an expert in something. Uh, she really wants to look smart, especially when Dr. Kelso, uh, or no, Dr. Cox Dr. can't Cox. figure out how she suddenly knows so much about endocrinology. Uh, one more meanwhile, Dr. Kelso has announced that whatever surgeon helps convince the parents of a young man who is brain dead, but is being kept alive by machines at the hospital to allow their son to pass and donate his organs, that surgeon will be able to participate in the heart transplant surgery. The first one performed at the hospital. And so every surgeon wants to do this. And Turk really wants to get this heart. One last meanwhile, and a fourth meanwhile. Carla <laughs> is panicked about becoming a mom and is worried she won't be good at it. Uh, so at this point, JD just wants to go home. Elliot wants brains. Turk needs a heart and Carla needs courage. Um, at the end of the episode, the acapella group sings somewhere over the rainbow as Elliot realizes she has actually learned all the stuff that she was desperately studying for. Turk opens up to the family and tells them that their choice is going to save lives and they agree to donate their son's organs. Carla realizes her feelings will be different about her own child versus her usual lack of patience with kids. And JD is finally able to leave the hospital. The end. Joe, now that's one just where you say, Oh, go ahead. You just, just you saying that Ted's band sings somewhere over the rainbow. I got goosebumps thinking about it. Oh yeah, so so the acapella group, uh, which is called the Worthless the Peons, Peons. <laughs> uh, is uh, performs two songs from Wizard of Oz in this, and I actually like they're, they're treated as a joke. They're actually a pretty good acapella group. They're great, they're fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> they're. I believe they were like an actual professional acapella group. They were. That uh, the actor... Yes, and they, Sam Sam Lloyd. Hmm. Hmm. They they had yeah, they... it was their acapella group from college, I believe. And when uh, Bill Lawrence learned that Sam Lloyd was in an acapella group, he's like, well, we have to have them on. <laughs> it, it fits the character mm-hmm. of Ted to be in an acapella group. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, actually, um, in my acapella group at Penn State, we covered their version of God Only Knows. Oh. Like from from the uh, from Sam Lloyd's acapella group? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Now, the episode... Um, my way home, which is obviously a uh, Wizard of Oz uh, homage that happens. Um, I couldn't work in all the references <laughs> to, to Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I would just recommend watching the episode, and uh, it is everything from uh, the janitor spraying new lines to guide people walking around the hospital. So there's now a yellow line that people are supposed to follow uh, in the hospital to um his uh, well the janitor also spray paints <laughs> jd's shoes red in this moment <laughs> because yeah he has all of the patients out. names are like actors and writers and directors from, from, from the the classic movie. wizard of oz film yeah every, every name that's given in the in it is a reference um uh there i mean there's just so many <laughs> that's it's it's just that lions tigers and bears oh my where uh, uh-huh. the todd sees a lady walk by <laughs> yeah um let's see there's uh i'm finding a list here on the scrubs fandom wiki um because there's there's a few more that had stood out when i was looking at this well, obviously he's listening to toto um mm-hmm. and uh, uh dr cox often gives jd women's names and he calls him dor uh dorothy in this episode mm-hmm. there's a scene oh, the where wicked dr. witch cox of the west be- uh yes the w- wicked witch of the west with um uh, Bill Lawrence's wife, uh, uh, Jordan, is the character's name uh, in this. Uh, Christina Miller. Uh, yeah, is is uh, the actress who plays uh, Jordan in this. And there's a scene where Dr. Cox uh, is like a man behind a curtain. <laughs> like it is everywhere. <laughs> and um, I think this is a really interesting one. Uh, example of intertextuality, because th- there are some examples of intertextuality where it, for me, like meaning actually gets lost instead of being made through all the references. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and this one has a story that stands on its own and is building yeah, on those it's, references. It's a coherent plot. Right. And there's sometimes with intertextuality where the only thing that makes it have any meaning is that I get the reference. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. that's not, yes. <laughs> that's not storytelling anymore. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. Uh, 
and this one maintains a strong story for each one of the characters. It actually fits where they're at at this point in mm-hmm. their character arcs. So it's not like, oh, we're going to shoehorn in a Wizard of Oz uh, reference. Uh, like these are transformations and moments that these characters need for their progression uh, mm-hmm. of where they're at. So it works on a lot of levels. But then choosing to use the Wizard of Oz and you know, not an obscure text, a very well-known text where even if you haven't seen it, you're catching a lot of these references. Uh, actually does serve to elevate uh, a lot of the themes that are, are being explored in this episode. Absolutely. And I, I'd like, I think Zach Braff directed this one. And I think this episode won a Peabody award. It did. Yes. This specific episode was the one that uh, when scrubs won that Peabody. Um, and yeah, Zach Braff now has, you know, directed a few different uh, film projects, but this was, you know, he, he got his first directing opportunities on scrubs and mm-hmm. uh, this would be a pretty complex and intimidating one to, to be given uh, to direct. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a major stunt at the beginning where he disappears uh, mm-hmm. into a puddle and, and pops yeah. up. He's riding a, what is it? A tiny moped thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he sees Julie and the manatee hole. underneath. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there's some major stunts that are done and um, lots of weird camera angles that are used mm-hmm. uh, in the episode. Well, uh, so Zach Raff does a good job. Tech, it goes into Technicolor, um, mm-hmm. another homage to the Wizard of Oz halfway through as well. And then like the crane shot at the end is I would think a very hard shot to get where you need everything to be perfect as it just keeps pulling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even there's the absurd visual gag of uh Turk knocking over every crib in a, <laughs> in the hospital. Like how bad could Turk be as a dad and JD imagines <laughs> how bad he could be. And it's uh the baby's uh, bassinets lined up like dominoes. I, <laughs> I think that's some, I think that's something interesting too, that like, I don't, I can't remember if it's something that you see more as the show evolves or if it was there from the beginning, but like the fantasy cutaway scenes, you don't always get that divide. Like, is it fantasy or is it not? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you'll have like Ted's band singing maniac from flash dance and just the four of them in a closet, they're performing for themselves and he pours a cup of water over his own head. You know, it's this is who is that audience for? It's for them. Um, but we're seeing it as the audience as well. Or like, you know, even that beginning where you talk about it, it's like we don't get a fantasy shot of JD going down into a puddle and coming out the other side and saying he saw manatee. Like, no, that is the shot that we see. Like we're mm-hmm. it's portrayed as this is what happened. Yeah, like there's a level of cartooniness that is reserved for his fantasies. Uh and, and like the where like I'm guessing, like the the show doesn't have to have to explain the tone at all. It just is. No, but no. Even the real world, the quote unquote real world of Scrubs, is a cartoon. Yes, <laughs> you know, there's, absolutely. There's things that, that absolutely defy logic and reason, and you just have to accept this is the world of Scrubs. Right, because we also have to believe that Doctor Cox hired Nurse Laverne's church choir to come and sing "Payback as a Bitch" to JD, <laughs> whatever he. <laughs> gets called in on his day off and you have an entire church choir just singing about this and Dr. Cox dancing with them. Um, or you have, you have his performance by that choir though. I I just shout out to that choir. It's so good. But then like later in it, you'll have them talking about like, you know, he's talk. Turk is worried about being a dad. He's like, what happens if just like Webster, he gets all into the pancake mix and Carla says, it's just a stupid sitcom. And it's like, okay, they're saying, okay, we're a sitcom. This is, is this just a stupid premise or are we doing more here? And so even like mm-hmm. that self-referentiality is, is always present. Yes. And I, I think we're talking a lot about the, uh, the my way home. Uh, Cause it's the last one I summarized, oh. but I think the, my old lady, the first one that I talked about is so important for mm-hmm. setting the tone in the series oh. that yes. um, it, it will punch you in the gut. <laughs> Yes. Uh, like like we're, we're told the premise at the top of the episode basically like one in three people die here are three new patients uh and so it's like okay and they well, all die and then and then then they all die <laughs> yes there is Ugh. no winner um, and, I, and i will say like this is this is the first time i remember watching certainly a comedy but maybe any show that i was aware of where like i was in tears and like it's the first time i remember watching a comedy where it wasn't a happy ending like it was three heartbreaking endings and like that was always the beauty of scrubs to me that like it can be so funny and like 
such an entertaining ride, but can also be draining because they weren't afraid to like pull from real life and be like, Hey, this is still a hospital and we're still portraying like the hardships of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, we're going to see Carla is going to battle postpartum depression Uh, later Mm -hmm. on. Dr. Cox is going to go into some very dark places uh, in, in his storylines with his own religion. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of thematic heft that the show is not afraid to engage in. And I mean, we've seen sitcom episodes where like everything goes wrong for the characters, but we're supposed to laugh at the end. You know, like, oh, they mm-hmm. all lost to the, you know, the, the the big competition or or the radio call in that, you know, right. it was a question they should have known or or Cliff loses Jeopardy. And, you know, we all laugh. But it, this is yeah. like real heartbreak is what they're hitting you with. Oh, not. Yeah. Well, we're laughing at the characters because the studio audience and the tone of the show tells us to laugh at the characters. This is we're crying as Leonard Cohen's uh, Hallelujah oh. plays across a montage of uh, three people dying and uh, families suffering from from these losses. Yeah. And uh, this, that's another one where let, uh, Bill Cohen has said, or Bill Lawrence has said, like, uh, I as far as I know, we were the first show to use Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah to set an emotional tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now he's like, now I can't help but see it everywhere. Uh, it's become yeah. a go-to for, for that kind of somber seriousness. Well, and even think about like the quote unquote happy ending in my way home. It only comes about because a mother and father lose their teenage son. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's still the premise of how they get their happy endings. Yeah. And uh, even as uh, like, like in uh, My Old Lady, like like we see real moments of character growth for mm-hmm. our main characters that are coming out of this, uh, you know, in this. But it is also premised on that growth, meaning they're going to hurt more. Uh, yeah. So like Turk has <laughs> always been been separate, like he, he's not going to engage with people that he does surgery on uh, and he chooses fairly around in the series here to say like, oh, that's a flaw of mine. I'm going to try and address it now. And I'm going to connect mm-hmm. more with this. And because he does that, he, it hurts worse than any other yes. patient that he has lost. Um, yep. JD is going to like be spending his extra time <laughs> with this woman to try and convince her to live. And he has to learn to accept her choice. Uh, but then also learn something from it, but he only learns something from it because connected with her more, which makes it hurt more when she's gone. Um, yeah. So I, I, well, I think there's a think lot about- of interesting ideas. Think about, I know we talked about Tom Cavanaugh as his brother later on in the series too, but like there's, there's an arc where JD is becoming cynical to everything. And Dr. Cox, you know, who's always hard on him and tells him that, you know, death is a part of this and you have to kind of get used to it. He's there. Like, I don't want you to become me. And like, we get real moments from that too, which, which is also like, you know, we could have an entire episode on just Dr. Cox, you know, with the, mm-hmm. with the the surly uh, doctor house type that was very popular at this time. Um, But also, you know, we see in both of these episodes, just times where it's like, he's going to be hard on people, but also he's there for them. um, Yes. So like, he's the one that tells Elliot, you made the right choice after Mm -hmm. she's devastated that her, her patient died. And she knows like in her mind, she's like, what if I assigned a different, a different Mm -hmm. treatment, you know, would she be alive? Uh, And he's like, you made the choice I would have made with all my years of experience. I, And like, you know, I will say, like I said, this is, it's one of my favorite and one of the most meaningful sitcoms that I've ever watched, like the series. But I, there are so many times in my life where like, I think about this episode, my old lady, where she says, what about your list? How many of those things have you done for that matter? How many times have you sat on the grass and done nothing? And like, there are so many times in my life where I think of this episode, it's like, I need to take a break and appreciate what's going on. And I might just go outside and sit on the grass or like, you know, it might be, oh, I'm cooking dinner and I'm I'm a little bit like stressed out or something. And there's one of my sons over there playing with Legos. And it's just like, OK, let's take a second and think about all of this and that I need to remember this because it's not going to always be like this or they're going to get older or there's going to be times where I can't be at home cooking. And so it's one of those things where like I actually look to this episode as like a cornerstone or a touchstone of like, okay, remember to ground yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is an episode that at this point is 22 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, since the first came out and it still has that resonance for you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that uh, a lesson that it's, it is 
explicitly didactically imparting uh, you know at the end of the episode it is trying to say like here is the takeaway in jd's voiceover yeah. for for all of us for viewers and for these characters uh and there's times where that kind of um uh, you know, moralizing, you know, trying to, to tell you exactly what to think can come off as very cheesy. And uh, you know, I, I think a lot of viewers can end up like rejecting it because uh, it's like, yeah. well, you're trying too hard to to tell me what to think right now. I think Scrubs does generally a good job of landing the right tone. A lot uh, of the in, time, in like I, especially this one, I feel like they earn it um, mm-hmm. just just from like two words where like, you know, there's his patient sitting in the bed and she's choosing to die which is a very hard idea for him as a doctor but more so as a young person where he's just starting his career and this idea of she's okay with it like she's lived a life and she's all right with it and she's the one comforting him when he just looks at her and says i'm scared and she like brings him over and tells him it's going to be okay yeah and and this is also uh this episode which is uh, which episode number is it? It's is it the fourth or seventh episode of this of the series? Uh, I know I've got it here. It's very notes. early. Yeah, it's uh the fourth episode of the whole show. This has yeah. Doctor Cox give a monologue that everything we do in this hospital is a stopgap. Yeah, like like all we're doing is delaying the inevitable. Every single person that we treat will die. <laughs> you know, in in the end. Yeah, and it's like that is a really dark monologue. For episode four of a sitcom. Oh my gosh! But but then they cut it with a scene of him playing Connect Four against Death, and Death wins uh-huh. diagonally. He's like pretty sneaky, Death. <laughs> yes, yeah. JD's uh, you know version is it's like we're we're always just trying to delay Death, uh, but Death will always win. And so JD goes to a, duh, playing Death mm-hmm. in the child's game, you know, immediately in his head, uh, and and it it lightens uh the heaviness uh, you know the, yeah. that's what you know the, those words you know light and heavy right there it lightens the heaviness of what dr cox has just revealed mm-hmm. uh to, to jd and that's one of those um I, I think it's one of those moments that you feel the presence of uh the real life doctors who were consultants on the show that you know even yes. though they're doing a sitcom this isn't just sitcom writers sitting around a room like they're listening to what some real life yeah. doctors tell them Yep. about and, and, not just you know, what disease to put in here but like what weighs on us uh yeah a, and like at the heart of what they're saying is there and then they're just printing up the words you know mm-hmm. yeah and, and so they get that idea from a doctor you know about the the fact that you know everything they do is just delaying the inevitable uh and they you know they, they write that monologue for dr cox and then they do the sitcom thing of of jd's you know fantasy cutaway uh so mm-hmm. it's still you know the the sitcom that's that's yeah. present and you laugh at the scene uh but i think there's the the reality of having uh the, this truth come from those medical advisors um mm-hmm. you feel it and i think that's something that bill lawrence really wanted to do was not just have the medical advisors tell us the name of a disease to, you know to give a patient sure. um, yeah it wasn't just like hey give us a plot mm-hmm. yeah well, what's a, a mystery presented in a few different ways it's like mm-hmm. hey my best friend from college what what are you feeling like in your career? Because <laughs> I want my characters right. to feel like that too. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it. It was an interesting comedy for mm-hmm. that reason. That's for sure. Like it's just it's set in a world where real stuff happens. Yeah. Um, now on the podcast, we like to talk about the characters, and I said we were going to be talking about JD and Kirk, who are one of my favorite sitcom duos. Oh uh, you know, just just the best friends uh what do you think about jd and turk (laughs) so you know i think that and this is something interesting that did come from their podcast um where you know they're best friends in real life and just Mm -hmm. hit it off immediately and you can see it in the chemistry between them and and they've talked about on their podcast it's like okay there are certain things that you know don't age as well there's some like vaguely homophobic references in the show that are more like you know the Todd attraction between two men as somehow humorous or Mm -hmm. people thinking, Oh, they might be. Um, So those kind of things, not as much, but what, what it did give us was a relationship on television where two guys are honest about their emotions with each other and like are not afraid to hug. They're not afraid to share, to tell each other that they love each other. Um, It, I feel like I don't remember seeing that before this show. 
yeah, like you think about like the 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 '90s NBC sitcoms, uh, you know, Friends uh, or or Seinfeld. Like, there's just such a layer of uh, like cynicism about yeah. honest uh emotional connection yeah, between still, people still and particularly like between men <laughs> feelings yeah uh it does feel very very different in uh just in general tone but also in the explicit discussions that you know that they have yeah and, and i think something interesting too is you know you know you have you have two friends one who is white one who is african-american and that wasn't that wasn't brought up a ton. It was just like, these are just two friends. Um, mm-hmm. Like there were definitely episodes where race was addressed and looked at more deeply. Um, but I think at the heart of it, they wanted to just be like, these are just two guys that love each other as much as two friends could love each other. And I think too, it was interesting, you know, cause this is a show that looked a lot at like just tangentially. It looked at class. It looked at gender roles. It looked at race roles. It looked at, um, Lots of different, like, um, you know, feminism. And one of the interesting things for me was JD, you know, when we talk about gender roles, he's not a stereotypical masculine um, role, but it wasn't necessarily played for he should change or like that makes him less than in some way. It was just like, no, this is who he is. And it, it might be something that's poked fun at by like Dr. Cox or like Turk might rib him about it. but you know, he's still seen as like, he is really good at his job. He, it doesn't seem to affect his friendships with anyone. Like he doesn't have to pretend to be this really masculine person. And when he does do that, it's played as a joke as like, Hey, isn't it kind of funny that we're expected sometimes to play these roles? Like whenever he's like, when Elliot is talking about Barry Bonds, he's like, okay, you know, this one, you got this. And he tries to play it really cool. And he's like, still, I love it when Bonds wins at the game that he plays and he seems really <laughs> satisfied with how he pulled that off. <laughs> I made a sports reference. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, no, but I, I, I gave this example of like, here's a, here's a slightly different form of masculinity, but that is the lead still, of the show. Still accepted. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is the lead of an uh, NBC sitcom in an era where uh, like NBC sitcom stars were very often like meant to be on the covers of fashion magazines. <laughs> like yeah, that was a yeah. lot of the, you know, the, like the era of friends was like the most beautiful people hang out together. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. And, and so the, the way that JD is allowed to be comfortable uh, and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, exist in, in his own space that definitely is demarcated differently than a traditional yes. male lead on a network show. I, I think as you're saying is, is significant. I think also like you made a note of it, like, yeah, there's gonna be some episodes that, that talk about race, but they don't make a big deal about the fact that, you know, our, our kind of core four of, uh, you know, uh, Carla and Turk and JD and Elliot, you get, uh, two white people, but then an African-American and a Latina. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not like made a big deal. And when you look at, like it is still surprising to me when I go back and look at uh sitcom cast for a very long time, <laughs> every television, just oh. how very white sitcom casts mm-hmm. were. Um, and mm-hmm. this one like, like does not make a huge deal about it in its pilot or anything like that. It's just, these are the people yeah. that are working in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they're going to interact with each other. And, uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of comedy does come from Dr. Kelso, the elderly, uh, head of the hospital <laughs> being completely out of touch on matters of race and sexuality and gender identity, uh, yes. throughout it. Uh, we're thinking, <laughs> throughout we're literally show. thinking that literally thinking that Dr. Turk's name is Turkleton, Turk Turkleton <laughs> or for the entire the, run <laughs> in this episode. Uh, he has a monologue about, uh, trying to make it in the uh, in a Altoona. farm league in baseball and getting drummed out because he started calling every Dominican Pepe as the Dominicans were coming in. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene of him uh, look. He's just a group of people and he's standing next to someone who's Latino. He's like, "Did you ever play shortstop?" And the guy's like, "No." And then he just leans in and goes, "Pepe." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know me, me. That's also like. Every time I hear that, I'm like, that's right. Dr. Kelso is supposed to be from Altoona, which is a town like, an hour from where I grew up. Uh, so, I mean, that him as the, like the out of touch figure head of yeah. white 
patriarchy is mm-hmm. mined for comedy throughout well, the entire the entirety I mean, of, the, of the show's run. The first season, there's an episode in the first season where, like, Elliot is just like, I don't want to be called doll or sweetheart, and you know, it you don't get the resolution to that that you might want. Of he's like, okay, I'll stop calling you that, but yeah. th- even pointing it out, it's like you're you're calling the female doctors here and female nurses by different names than you refer to the male employees or like um you know even his like his out of touchness is is played for a joke at times too like whenever turk is he's he's upset with turk for bowling his patient down the hallway and and he he tells turk um he says, uh, just, just that reference may not fly for anyone who's never seen uh, the episode. He, he he puts his patient in a wheelchair and pushes him down and knocks over. Uh, what is it? They knock over at the end of the hallway. I don't. I want to say it's oxygen barrels? tanks, but that feels so yeah, wrong. Like, yeah, I don't know. But this was not a cutaway fantasy. This was real. And yeah. just his response to me is like, oh, maybe way later we could go all go play stickball. All we need is a stick and a ball and a pocket full of dreams. And it's just like the deadpanness of his character, even though he is this patriarchal figure and arguably racist and out of touch, like over the season two, they kind of made it's like, okay, this is, this is the boss. This is the guy that we have to deal with all the time. And they give us like insights into his life that like have made him in some ways, the person that he is. And mm-hmm. like, there's an episode uh, yeah, they, where they work like, to explain his yeah. his worldview uh and by the end of the series he he is like of i think early on he is a caricature of out of touch yes. white and patriarchy uh mm-hmm. but by the end they've made us understand not approve of but understand yeah. his his worldview absolutely and and yeah it's never it's never a it's never a yes this is the correct way to be but it's like okay we can soften the edges of him and make him grow um in certain ways. So it's, it's interesting. Like I said, like looking back, not the most perfect show. And they even talk about that on the podcast too. Like there's famously an episode, two episodes, I think with blackface mm-hmm. and like on the podcast, Bill Lawrence um, and Zach Braff and Donald Faison are talking about it. And they're like, yeah, we weren't thinking of how what were we thinking? We were not thinking yeah. there's no excuse. They're like, they're straight yeah. up saying there's no excuse. One, I, I know one is like a fantasy world where uh, JD imagines Elliot and Elliot. Uh, Turk, like his girlfriend and his, his best friend as one person. And they put Sarah Chalk in blackface uh, for, for mm-hmm. this little fantasy sequence. And the other one I think is a, 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 a flashback to college when college. Uh, JD went with Turk to a black uh, fraternity and, <laughs> and Turk had told him, no, this will be funny. You dress up like Michael Jackson. And and I, th- I think that's what it was. Yes. And then he got beat up. Yeah. <laughs> well, once he was separated yeah. from Dirk. <laughs> and, and I did appreciate, you know, on it. They were like, we don't have an excuse. It's like we were wrong. We were stupid. We weren't thinking about how this could hurt people. So it was it was refreshing in a way where it's not like, oh, well, it was comedy. You know, they. I think it was Bill it was Lawrence. a different era. Like, we're more sensitive now, which so many comedians say like, Oh, you know, we're yeah. so much more sensitive now. They just straight up said like, no, we were wrong. We, we didn't think yeah. it was stupid. Yep. Uh, if you were going to try and describe JD and Turk, uh, like, like what makes this such a great pairing? One, I would say that's like, you can actually tell that they're legitimately best friends, mm-hmm. like not just on the show. Like, I think that they're both great actors especially on this, like in these roles, but you can tell that like there's legitimate love between them. And I think, I think it makes it work too, because you buy that they have this long history together and they're not the same. Like they're very disparate people. You know, Turk is more of the jock and Mm -hmm. he's more quote unquote cool. Whereas like JD, he says in one episode that whenever they went to parties, people thought that his name was NJD um, because it was always Turk and JD. And um, I I think like, it's just a very believable friendship. And like, they have moments where like they argue and one of them's like, I was wrong or both of them. Like, Hey, I was wrong too. And like, they're never, they don't have them be mad at each other or quote unquote, break up for a long time or anything like that. Like they are there 
for each other. And it's not just played as, oh, these two guys, they're very funny together. And let's hear them tell jokes. It's like, well, they're not always telling right. jokes. Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. there are some brutal episodes where they're going through some stuff. And we see that as well. Yeah. And I, I think initially something that stands out is like this odd couple of dynamic of, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, nerdy Jewish type <laughs> for, for yeah. Zach Braff uh, and the, the more jock African-American uh, for, mm-hmm. for Donald Faison. And yeah, it, the comedy doesn't come from like that odd couple uh, formula of yeah. like, Oh, the tension of our differences are, you know, it, it is going to drive one another mad, um, you know, which is a classic comedy formula uh, mm-hmm. that, that works very well for what it is. But that is not what the show gives us, even though I think that's the initial appearance that maybe even uh, in the pitch to NBC, <laughs> you know, might have, might have been part of. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but, but the show very quickly takes on this this different life of uh, the core of this relationship and the comedy is actually this deep love and affection that they have for one another. Well, and the nice thing too, is like, you see, it's like, they will make fun of each other, but you know that it's not to hurt each other, which is a very hard line sometimes to portray. And I think like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's an, there's an episode early on too, where like JD feels ostracized because Turk is hanging out with his new surgeon friends. And like, he blurts out, it's like, I miss you so much. It hurts sometimes. And (laughs) Like I they can kind of Zach Graff's delivery of that. Yes. And they kind of let it go for a little. And then later on, like they're having a conversation, like it's a different time. And Turk's like, I miss you so much. It hurts sometimes. And it's like, like just kind of <laughs> ribbing him for it, but not yeah. like in front of everyone to put him down mm-hmm. for this feeling that he had, that he said that, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's portrayed more realistically as like a friendship like an actual one where it's like you're well, in I mean, this it almost safe feels like, um, yeah, the, the, this kind of sibling fight, yeah, like where they fight. Yeah, it's like, okay, exactly. they, but they're still family, right. You know, yeah. uh, we know where the lines are. We're not actually going to cross those lines. And but that doesn't mean we always are happy with one another. It doesn't mean we're always getting along swimmingly and, you know, in every interaction mm-hmm. that we have, but it means there's this core that is never going to change. And they really do, uh, you know, despite, <laughs> you know, all the differences between them have almost that kind of sibling relationship. Mm-hmm. And I will say like, Throughout the series, you said, like, people change. It's like, there are arcs for everyone on the show, like, of the main people, where, like, they become competent doctors and confident in what they can do, and they grow as people, and, you know, it's it's not necessarily the, hey, this is a funny formula this first season, let's stick with it. It's like, no, they they try to show, like, time going on. Yeah, it's... uh you know, something like the show does get compared to the Simpsons. I mean, the Simpsons characters are all pretty static. <laughs> like there's no yes. aging, no evolution. There's right. you, you go from one episode to the next. Everything is, is the exact same. Uh, there is long form storytelling as well as the episodic storytelling that's present in yes. scrubs. Well, and, but I will say what you get with the Simpsons is there is no growth for most of the background characters where they are there and they're beloved. Like they are Springfield. Um, the town in, in the Simpsons where like you have like, even in the first episode we watched my old lady, the delivery person that delivers the bricks to him, that is um, Lloyd. He's well, he's actually the, the actor, I guess is Mike Sharts. Uh, he's a writer, producer, co-executive producer, but he went on to be like a minor character that was on all the time. That was part of um, the janitor's air guitar band. And would like just be, yeah, and would just be in the background in lots of things. And you'd have like um, Dr. Mickhead who possibly killed his wife. And like everyone is always aware of this and don't know what's going on. Or like you'll have um, the Todd who is like the personification of toxic masculinity um, that is that is on the show. And like every once in a while, there'll be a little growth. but, you know, you just have these these one note characters, but they don't they use them in different ways and mix it up enough and don't overdo it. And there's enough of them that, like, they really do a good job of building this community of Sacred Heart, the hospital, that it feels bigger than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like when when I came across, uh, I think it was on the DVD commentary, the first time I heard like, oh, no, like our set is an actual hospital. And I was like thinking through I'm like. <laughs> 
it can't be a very big hospital. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's there's not a lot of space. Uh, like you said, like the world feels pretty expansive. But when I run through like an episode, I'm like, there's like f- four patient rooms and the one open yeah. space room, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and then the, the lounge. And, That's... and then the morgue that Doug runs, which Doug <laughs> is one of the greatest characters of the entire show. And it's fantastic. Uh, so a little background, just quick on Doug. Like he was, he came in as an intern with the others there and he was a terrible doctor. He was always hurting patients, misplacing things, possibly killing patients. And so they're like, let's send him to the morgue where he can't hurt anyone. And it turned out he was great. Uh, he was a great doctor to be in the morgue and he was fantastic because they were like, oh, how did you think this person died? And he knew it right away. And they're like, how do you know that? He's like, up where I'm from, they call that the Doug. And like... <laughs> In, in in the episode, the Wizard of Oz episode, JD is hiding in like a body bag and starts talking and Doug starts beating him with with a fire extinguisher. And he's like, what are you doing? Why are you hitting me? He's like, I thought you were dead. He's like, then why are you hitting me? He's like, dead people should be dead. <laughs> the way he's hugging the fire hydrant, which is clearly padded as he does that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's what there is a, like a charming. um uh analog uh way to some of the the stunts that they have to do in the show uh like like the the bricks hitting jd like it's not cgi bricks falling from the ceiling it's just a yeah. bunch of pads <laughs> that are mm-hmm. in the shape of bricks that, that fall down um and and <laughs> there's uh some of them do stand out but in a way that I, I i don't find distracting i just find like yeah that's right for that when this show was made yeah that's what that show and it's almost like. charming because it's like it's supposed to be cartoony it's not supposed to be it's like of course he's being very pummeled by bricks right. yeah yeah he's being pummeled by bricks and now he's covered in blood it's like that's not what we're looking for <laughs> uh-huh. all right well ben uh we filled up about an hour of discussion do you have any final thoughts about scrubs uh i would just say that uh i do think that if if there are listeners who have not watched it i it's hard for me to recommend like a sitcom that i think is more fun just as like a background show. Um, You know, it doesn't, there are some things like we've said that don't always age well, but that's every show. But I think the heart and like the camaraderie and like definitely some of the laugh out loud moments from like recurring gags and things like that definitely stand the test of time. And just some of the guest actors over the run of it, like Michael J. Fox, Dick Van Dyke. um, You have uh, Sean Hayes, you have Brendan Fraser. Um, I know I'm missing tons of people, but you just have these big time actors or people that then got really big after the show that, you know, they they're part of the universe, too. And it's it's just really fun to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, th- there's just so much good heart <laughs> that's at the center mm-hmm. uh, of this show um, that does. I think that still resonates really well. Um, like watching these episodes, I'm like, oh man, it's still still hitting me. Uh, I, I like, yeah, there's some edit, like, like in, even things that don't hold up. Like, there's probably some editing style choices. I'm like, ah, uh, you know, that's not how we do it today. And I think I probably mm-hmm. prefer a little bit more how it's done today. But uh, the the heart of what they're they're doing and their storytelling is still so strong. Well, and, I, and it and makes I'm so much sense like... that uh, Bill Lawrence has gone on to like be a co, yes. you know, the showrunner for Ted Lasso. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes and. Sense. and... And shrinking, like he's really good at writing episodes that are going to pull at your heartstrings, but not in a schmaltzy way. Like mm-hmm. he, he, he's really good at balancing that of like, okay, I'm going to make it meaningful, but not cheesy most of the time. And I think like Scrubs is definitely one of the first, if not only sitcoms I can think of where it's like, there are multiple episodes where I tear up but not out of like, oh, this is moving or I'm happy for that character, but out of I'm existentially sad right now. Mm-hmm. And Which, okay, my, I don't know my, if you're looking for that in your comedy, but it's there. Yeah, my, my <laughs> final thought. I don't think we've done enough to acknowledge John C. McGinley's ability to deliver a monologue. Um, oh, my gosh. I it's, don't know how he got sometimes all the words out with all the emotion that he does. I don't know how he takes the, would have to do the way that he can stretch out the word really. Um, really? or <laughs> or his uh long-standing unexplained uh hatred of Hugh Jackman um is also <laughs> there for some reason. And I I know at some point 
I saw John C. McGinley talk about when he is prepping for his monologues, he'll he'll like tap the side of his nose. Uh, yep. And I see it in the episodes all the time. And my wife has said, sometimes you tap the side of your nose. I'm like, I think I just picked it up from Scrubs and, and Dr. Cox. It's not conscious on my part anymore. <laughs> oh, but man. That's, that's amazing. If, if I'm very, I, I will say like, I sweat my nose my a little. Humor, <laughs> I think a lot of my humor and like asides come in this style of like mm-hmm. JD's fantasy asides, where it's just like kind of a comment to himself. Um, and, and I think that touching of the nose thing, I think that was an homage. I can't remember to what. But yeah, I, think that was an homage. I think it was too. But, but once you start looking for it from Dr. Cox, like, oh, yeah, oh, you see it, it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in All the right. musical episode, just his, uh, just his uh, modern major general song is also well worth the watch. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Don't be shocked if we revisit Scrubs at some point in the future of the <laughs> podcast. Uh, for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast and your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Toft, who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So I have fun. Hello. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs>